This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. New Zealand's biggest publisher of news is still up for sale, and it's emerged another buyer wants it by the end of the month. Meanwhile, the owner of the nation's most popular magazines is set to sell them off within days as well, if it can find buyers. And that's a big if during a terrible time for the media. So are our key outlets for New Zealand journalism then now vulnerable to offshore vultures looking for a quick buck? But before all that, the National Party leadership story. It kept political reporters busy all week and political commentators, but we find out that one prominent one won't be on the air or in print for a bit because of how it's played out. But first, we look at the push to roll Simon Bridges, pumped up by pressure from political polls on TV. Yesterday, 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 Simon. No, not at all. It's the right thing to do for the right reasons. And look, I think... Um, at the risk of sounding um, somewhat pompous. Um, if you do the right thing for the right reasons, um, that's not a bad way to go. Yesterday hey, thanks very much. Certain... It was the end of the road for Simon Bridges' leadership of the National Party after that caucus meeting, which began at midday on Friday. And the party's MPs who were making up their minds were doing so off the back of a bulletin-leading TVNZ opinion poll the night before. It's another hit for embattled national leader Simon Bridges less than 24 hours before the crunch vote to decide between him or challenger Todd Muller. Our exclusive poll result could be influential for those MPs still deciding who to back four months from the election. TVNZ's Wendy Petrie on Thursday night talking up the influence their Colmar Brunton poll might have. And two hours earlier, media trainer and PR person for hire Janet Wilson was a guest on RNZ's The Panel. She said she had national MPs as clients, though she wouldn't name any, whose choice on Friday, she reckoned, might just be swayed by that TVNZ poll. I have had no discussions with any of them, so I do not know this, but I have a sense that they are keeping their powder dry and they're going, let us see the figures tonight and then I'll make a call. Though earlier in the week, RNZ's political editor Jane Patterson reckoned that poll would make little difference. The gun had already been fired, she said, on the bid to roll the leader well before that, when Todd Mullet made his intentions clear. And it was no coincidence that he did that after this last Monday. The implications of this poll will be far-reaching for every single party in Parliament and earth-shattering for some. Prepare to have your minds blown with the country's most accurate political poll, News Hub, live at 6 tonight on 3. News Hub's political editor Tova O'Brien in a TV promo designed to ramp up interest in its latest opinion poll from Reed Research. And the forecasts of shattered earth and blown minds to come certainly worked on the media on Monday. Even before the poll results were out, pundits were on talk radio speculating about what they might be, and the usually restrained Otago Daily Times ran the online headline, National Insiders Talk Ahead of Mind-Blowing Poll. That story began with a question, can the National Party find their own Jacinda Ardern as they head to September's election? And that was just one of many political stories this week, utterly focused on the two party leaders. And those leaders were certainly the focus when News Hub at 6 did its big reveal on its latest poll that night. Kia ora, good evening. It's official. Jacinda Ardern is the most popular Prime Minister the country's had in a century. Well, official is one word for it, but there's no way of knowing whether she is more popular now than, say, Holyoke, Savage or Seddon or any other big-name Prime Minister we've had over the past 100 years. 
Political opinion polls as we know them didn't really emerge until the 1970s, but in the contemporary era, the claim doesn't stack up either. In a fact or fiction story the next day, the New Zealand Herald's political reporter Amelia Wade pointed out that John Key had consistently polled around 60% as preferred PM in the Herald's digi-polls during his tenure, and he also peaked, for good measure, at 59% in the One News Colmar Brunton poll too. But on the day that News Hub tried to blow our minds, even the Herald was parroting that Jacinda Ardern claim online as a fact. And for a global audience, so did the local reporter for The Guardian and the news agency Reuters, whose story was republished by mainstream news outlets all over the world. Now, Obviously, this dramatic swing in the News Hub poll had one particular driver, and Tova O'Brien made that crystal clear on News Hub at 6. One word, COVID. It's in line with the polling we saw after the Christchurch attacks. Jacinda Ardern is a great leader in crisis. The polls reacted similarly with John Key after the Christchurch earthquakes. These are the people New Zealanders trust to lead. Simon Bridges isn't among them. But the main reason for that was that Simon Bridges isn't a Prime Minister and therefore hardly in a position to get the post-crisis poll bounce to add to the popularity that almost all sitting Prime Ministers have enjoyed in this part of the last century in which modern political opinion polling has been a thing. But in the last Read Research poll in February, the two parties were neck and neck. National and Labour have never been so close in our poll's history, Tova O'Brien herself said at that time. And on Thursday's morning report on RNZ National, host Kim Hill put this question to pundit and lobbyist Matthew Hooten. What do you say to the criticism that nationals behaving like poll-driven fruitcakes, they're not objecting to Bridges' policies, they're objecting to the fact that people don't like him. Is that legit? Well, National is now 25 points behind All right. the Labour Party, that is not something to ignore. And on Tuesday, News Hub made more bad news out of Simon Bridges' lack of likability from another question in its Read Research poll. We asked you to describe Simon Bridges in one word. Tosser. Incompetent. Arrogant. I honestly don't really know who Simon Bridges is. Jacinda Ardern in a word is a different story. Powerful. She's cool. Gorgeous. Beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. Fantastic. Awesome. These nifty word clouds show the top 50. The bigger the word, the more it came up. Jacinda Ardern's is overwhelmingly positive. And it was the exact opposite for Simon Bridges. And News Hub at 6 displayed that cloud with words like dickhead and mediocre prominent within it. But what did that really tell us? Mike, uh, the depth of public sentiment. Politics is all about numbers, but these words are visceral and they have an impact in a way that numbers simply can't. Reading about Simon Bridges was pretty awful. It's mean, but it is a snapshot of how the public feels. Not only is it mean, as Tova O'Brien said there, it isn't actually very revealing either. It simply isn't possible to sum up how you feel about a public figure in one word, let alone whether you would support them or their party politically in spite of how you feel about the leader personally. On Thursday's morning report, Matthew Hooten went on to tell Kim Hill this. A lot of media decided, I think rightly so, not to report that because it was so unpleasant and unfortunate. It was ugly, wasn't it? Father Bridges is a human being. Yes. He has a family. And so, yes, News Hub, because they're more tabloid than RNZ, they published it, but most responsible journalists did not publish that. But we've seen those nifty word clouds, as Tova O'Brien called them, before. 
In December 2018, a similar UMR survey prepared for Labour was leaked to the Parliamentary Press Gallery at a time when Simon Bridge's leadership was also being questioned, and other media then had no qualms about running with those as a story. At the time, for example, Simon Bridges was heading into the summer break facing questions like this from RNZ's political editor, Jane Patterson. And untrustworthy was right there in the centre. I mean, when you get up and you see that sort of thing, how do you feel about how you're connecting with the New Zealand public? I think the truth on that, um, my sense is, uh, you know, the Labour Party uh, has been scurrying around the gallery, uh, wanting to make sure they're out there very selectively with their polling. Well, two can play at that game. Um, I could talk about this week's polling. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to, no. Now, of course, it's true that personalities of the political leaders have a real impact. Labour's fortunes reversed after Jacinda Ardern took over from Andrew Little in 2017, for example. And on Thursday, Matthew Hooten made the point this way on Morning Report. Uh, in the end, the public is always right. And the public is entitled to say, look, this is the sort of person we like as our Prime Minister. And it's not really for political commentators or you know, distinguished <laughs> New Zealand journalists to second-guess that. It's just a reality, and as we said, you know, I've never seen. I've been in politics for thirty years. I've never seen a word association map as terrible as that. It, it makes me sad. Yeah, made me sad too. Made Simon Bridges even sadder. If you were watching TVNZ One News on Tuesday, you would have seen nothing at all about any pressure on Simon Bridges. While over on three. Tover O'Brien signed off on News Hub at 6 like this. Either way, Simon Bridges is digging in. He will not give up without a fight. This is shaping up to be a bloody mess. And on Wednesday, when news of a special national caucus meeting to settle the issue on Friday broke, she wasn't the only one in the press gallery talking about sharpening knives and there will be blood. Herald senior political writer Claire Trevett says Bridges isn't going to go quietly and things might get messy. If it's going to be the duke out, which it clearly is, because Simon Bridges is digging his heels in. This is where we are. Blood on the floor. On Friday afternoon, the blood was spilled and the first person to report the outcome before it was officially announced was News Hub. Our sources, our News Hub sources are saying right now that Todd Muller has won the leadership vote and it is a case of bridges having been burned. And on News Hub's live televised coverage of what it later called Knives at Noon, News Hub's political editor Tover O'Brien again insisted that the polls, including theirs, had been significant. He hadn't been showing his caucus, those internal polling, so we can imagine that the internal polling was slumping for National and for Simon Bridges, and then it was those public polls, that News Hub Read Research poll that came out on the Monday night with National Party on 30.6%. That was the death knell for Simon Bridges. It was enough for his MPs to make that proper move. And when News Hub's host Ryan Bridge tried to talk up Tova O'Brien's role in it, she didn't want to take any credit. Tova, your reporting in particular has been absolutely instrumental in this, from the very beginning, from the murmurings of the leadership battle to the... To the <laughs> but Tova O'Brien did reckon that the media had had an impact on the outcome. How are you personally feeling about this? It's felt enormous this week, and I have to say that delivering that poll on Monday night, I've never felt the weight of responsibility as much as I did delivering a 30.6 result for National, because it was about the jobs. It's not just about the leadership, it's about the other people involved there and the other MPs that would have lost their jobs. Tova O'Brien went on to say that she and other journalists were just doing their jobs and laying it out like it is, and when it came to Simon Bridges' lack of personal appeal with the public, their reporting certainly did that. But the poll-based nature of it, focusing so heavily on what people make of the party leaders, also amplified it.
As the leadership battle played out during the week, political reporters were, obviously, on air and in print a lot, analysing the latest moves. And so too were political commentators and pundits, prominent among them Matthew Hooten, who's the managing director of the lobbying firm Exceltium and formerly a National Party staffer. In normal times, he's on RNZ's 9 to noon once a week to talk politics with Catherine Ryan, alongside an opposing pundit who leans to the left, and he's got a weekly column every Friday in the New Zealand Herald as well. But during all the leadership drama this past week, he was on other RNZ news shows too, including, as we heard earlier on, RNZ's Morning Report. Though on Friday, one Morning Report listener didn't think he was an appropriate choice of pundit. You're listening to Morning Report with Corinne Dan and Kim Hill. Text came in earlier saying, how can any responsible broadcaster pretend that Matthew Hooten is a fair and impartial political commentator? Rose from Mount Roskill. I do not think we did pretend that, Rose. Well, true enough, Matthew Hooten wasn't there to be impartial, but as a commentator with political connections to national. But this coming week, he won't be appearing on any of those outlets or anywhere else as a commentator because of his links to the national leadership campaign. On Friday, hours before the crucial caucus vote, Kim Hill on Morning Report asked Matthew Hooten this. But you've nailed your colours firmly to the mast, and you're a Muller man. How do we know you're not talking him up so that he accrues more support today at the crucial vote? Uh, well, I've looked at how I view this. I have been friends of Todd Muller uh, for 30 years. Um, so I, you are talking him well. up? You can put it that way. I've known Simon Bridges and Nikki Kaye for 15 years. As I said, I think earlier in the week, this is a tragic situation. And Matthew Hooten's choice was indeed scarcely a secret. The headline on his Herald column that day was National's only choice, Muller for leader. But was he effectively a spokesperson then for Todd Muller's campaign without saying so? Well, in a piece republished by the Herald on Friday, the editor of Business Desk, Patrick Smelly, wrote, Heaven knows how RNZ chose repeatedly to use lobbyist Matthew Hooten as a commentator when most journalists know he's been working on Todd Muller's behalf to help him achieve this outcome. Well, after that circulated on social media, it was clear many journalists didn't know if Matthew Hooten was part of Todd Muller's leadership campaign or not. And Matthew Hooten's Twitter account, which had been pretty active in recent days, suddenly disappeared from the platform on Friday. This weekend, Media Watch asked Matthew Hooten, have you been advising or working on behalf of Todd Muller or any other National Party MPs on the party's leadership contest? And if so, had he informed media outlets, including the New Zealand Herald and RNZ? On Saturday, Matthew Hooten told Media Watch he hadn't been paid by anyone for anything associated with this leadership bid. Todd Muller had contacted him last Wednesday to say that he was challenging for the leadership. And at that point, Matthew Hooten said, I gave him my personal support as a friend. But he also said that during his interview with Kim Hill on Thursday, it became obvious he should make clear his friendship, not just with Todd Muller, but also Simon Bridges. So he spoke about that on Thursday in the interview and in the column written that day, which was published in Friday's New Zealand Herald. And it came up again in the second Morning Report interview with Kim Hill on Friday. But before that, on Thursday night, Matthew Hooten said, Nicky Kay advised him that Todd Muller wanted him to come to Wellington the next morning, and he did. He was later asked to help Todd Muller on an unpaid basis through Friday afternoon, and at that point he said he advised RNZ and the Herald, I could no longer do my usual 9 to noon and business Herald slots under these circumstances. 
Matthew Hooten also told Media Watch on Saturday, I'm still in Wellington helping with various things. I don't know what the future holds beyond the next few days. And he added, obviously I'm too conflicted right now to do any political commentary. Matthew Hooten declined to be interviewed on Media Watch today, but in that statement to us he also said, I believe I am possibly one of the few political commentators in this country who has always clearly disclosed conflicts, both to producers and editors, and to listeners and readers. He said, I think there is greater focus on me because I am from the political right than there is on people with similar issues from the political left. On Saturday, I also asked RNZ's head of news, Richard Sutherland, if he was satisfied with the timing of Matthew Hooten's disclosures of his links to Todd Muller's leadership bid. There was a conversation between the EP of, of Ninth Noon and, and Mr Hooten, and, and he did say that he wouldn't be available for the regular politics slot on the Monday, given everything that was happening, and uh, that was mutually agreed to. And given the circumstances in which Mr Hooten finds himself in, we wouldn't um, countenance using him as a general political commentator. Now, that's not to say that we wouldn't want to interview him, particularly if he's got close ties to the Muller camp. We could talk to him about uh, Todd Muller all day long. Um, but in terms of having him on as a independent uh, political observer or even a right-wing political commentator, um, he's already indicated that he doesn't feel comfortable doing that, and certainly we don't feel that would be the right thing to do either. Well, Matthew Hooten did appear on Friday morning on Morning Report, uh, second day running, uh, to talk about that upcoming leadership vote. It was just a few hours away at that point. And according to his statement, uh, that was after he'd agreed to join Todd Muller on an unpaid basis. So are you satisfied, Richard, with the disclosures and the timing of it? Look, it's uh, pretty clear to anyone who's been listening to Mr Hooten on, on RNZ over the last few days that he was very much clearly a uh, Todd Muller supporter. Uh, I don't think that given that he didn't have an official position with Muller's uh, office, I don't think he probably needed to disclose it at, at that point, but uh, we were very clear when we were interviewing him on the Friday, and I believe Tim used the phrase, you've nailed your colours to, to the Muller mast, and he said yes, and he had previously admitted on air that he had a very close friendship with Mr Muller. Indeed, he said he also had a very close friendship or a friendship with uh, Simon Bridges. So I think anyone listening to that interview with Kim on Friday was in, in no doubt as to who uh, Mr Hooten was supporting. Yeah, but they wouldn't have known at that point he'd responded to a request from Todd Muller's deputy on his behalf to actually you know, fly to Wellington and meet up with them to do unpaid but unspecified work. That's a pretty deep involvement, isn't it, that perhaps listeners should have heard about because he's not just an analyst at that point. He's getting close to being a spokesperson. Well, certainly I think it would have been useful perhaps if he had uh, made that uh, more clear, but certainly I you know, I, I can't speak for, for Mr Hooten on that. Uh, you'd need to ask that question of him. But you're satisfied that any previous appearances uh, on this matter or indeed any others relating to the National Party, um, you're not worried about any conflicts with those? I'm very comfortable with the fact that we disclosed to the audience that Mr. Hurton had close links to um, to the uh, to Mr. Muller, and on that basis, I think that um, you know uh, that we've uh, served the audience pretty well. If he doesn't end up working for them, and this relationship isn't a formal one, is there any reason he couldn't, if he wants to, uh, go on and do more commentary with and resume that nine to noon? Uh, Monday politics slot, which had a lot of listeners. Well, it's certainly a very popular slot, even uh, when Mr Hooten isn't appearing on it. Whether he will uh, turn up on there again, I guess uh, that's a question that we'll need to 
uh, leave until we have a better handle, uh, both uh, from our end and, and Mr Hooten's end, on exactly what his position is going to be. Uh, but I think it would be safe to say that until that position is clarified, it's clear that Mr Hooten himself isn't comfortable doing political commentary, and I don't know that we would be using him for uh, political commentary in the way that we have been in the past. Now, that's not to say that we wouldn't interview him, particularly if he does end up being employed uh, in some capacity by Todd Miller's office or with the National Party. I imagine we'd want to talk to him about a lot of things if that should happen. But certainly in terms of independent uh, political commentary or a right-wing political commentator, uh, we would need to be certain of what his status is before we went down that road. And I'm sure that Mr Hooten's of the same view. And with this, to your mind, uh change RNZ's attitude or policies? Is that going to be reviewed as a result of this situation? I'm comfortable with the way that it's been handled. RNZ's Head of News, Richard Sutherland. Last weekend here on Media Watch, we heard how the New Zealand Herald's publisher NZME made a bold bid to buy its biggest rival stuff for $1 from the Australian company that owns it, Nine Entertainment. NZME has tried for almost five years to merge with or buy up its big rival in newspapers and online news, and it would be a huge move for New Zealand journalism if it ever happened, not to mention a big move for our public life too. NZME reckoned it had a deal whereby only it could buy stuff from Nine at the moment, but Nine said no and that no deal would be done with NZME at all, after which NZME went to the High Court for an injunction to stop a sale to any other buyer. On Tuesday, Judge Sarah Katz announced that she had dismissed NZME's request for an injunction. So, in effect, Australia's Nine Entertainment was free to try and sell New Zealand's biggest news publisher. And her full judgment released on Thursday also revealed another buyer had been in talks with the Australians to buy stuff by the end of this month. But the identity of that buyer was not revealed. Alongside stuff on the block right now are the nation's most popular magazines, which also have an offshore owner trying to get rid of them by the end of the month. Bauer Media, the global Hamburg-based publisher, shut down its entire stable of New Zealand magazines and put them up for sale with no prior warning in early April. And last week, the consultants tasked with that sale set a deadline of the 29th of May for anyone wanting to buy the likes of the New Zealand Woman's Weekly, North and South, The Listener, Next, Your Home and Garden and others, which are currently not being published at all. Bauer cited the volume of interested parties as the reason for pushing the sale deadline back, and it told subscribers now missing their favourite magazines in their mailboxes that this was good news. But uncertainty over the new owners of key New Zealand media outlets and where they're based is not good news, according to former New Zealand Herald Editor-in-Chief Gavin Ellis. We now face the prospect of nine selling stuff to an unidentified overseas buyer with undisclosed intentions, Gavin Ellis warned in his blog this week. So are our important media now vulnerable to foreign vultures looking for distressed assets to pick up and pick clean? Well, last week the government amended the Overseas Investment Act to protect key New Zealand assets from falling unnecessarily into foreign ownership in the fallout from COVID-19. And the National Interest Test Guidelines, which were established last November, do specify that media entities which have an impact on New Zealand's media plurality are subject to that test. Now, when Gavin Ellis was editor at the New Zealand Herald many years ago, its local owner was taken over by a bigger one based in Ireland. This week, Gavin Ellis warned, no good can come of foreign ownership in our media. But foreign investors already have big stakes in New Zealand media, 
And what if good buyers from overseas might actually be the best option to help our stricken media companies survive and even thrive? Look at, look at what's happening with those stakes. Now, in the case of MediaWorks, which, of course, is owned by two private equity companies, one in America, one in Australia, uh, they're trying to sell off the television arm of their operation already. Uh, in the case of NZME, slightly different situation in that no one uh, financial institution uh, has a majority shareholding. It's a listed company, and there are financial institutions with holdings, but no one of them is in a position to uh, exercise control over the board. You know, when I look at, look at MediaWorks, I don't think that private equity ownership uh, has benefited that group uh, uh, to any to any great degree. In the Herald, uh, the article that they ran of yours this week, it, they published it under the stark headline, there are no benefits to foreign ownership of media, uh, which is pretty unequivocal. But why isn't it possible there are good offshore owners, media owners that might just invest here, particularly if they could get a good deal at the current time? And it might even be good in the long run. Well, look, if there was an established media owner, let's say... Um, the Guardian's owner, the, the Scott Trust Limited, wanted to buy stuff, then, yes, I could see real benefits to that. But that's pie-in-the-sky thinking. It simply won't happen. Our media companies are in retreat. The likelihood of an established media company, an international one, taking, a, uh, taking over one of our media companies, I think is remote. The far greater possibility is, as I say, private equity, and I don't see any benefits. They don't bring any expertise to the to the party, uh, apart from perhaps um, financial and boardroom expertise, but that's all. Well, you pointed out this week that the national interest test that applies to overseas investments, these rules were put in place in, in November, you know, pre the COVID crisis, but they did specify media entities that have an impact on New Zealand's media plurality. Um, at that time, David Parker, uh, the minister, actually said it's in the interests of open democracy that sometimes we should be able to control whether our media are controlled by overseas entities or New Zealand ones. So do you think then that the government has actually recognised the problem and, and will be alive to it? In theory, they have. And uh, I was pleased to see the inclusion of, of uh, media in, the, in that guidance note. Um, however, uh, it remains to be seen whether they are prepared to do anything about it because I get a sense that um, the current government sees newspapers in particular as something of a, of a failed business. It may not want to intercede. I wouldn't take it for granted. The government would say intercede in the case of stuff uh, if it's a private equity owner. As I said in that, that article, those rules will, will stop a, a media company being owned by the Russian mafia and some of the less reputable private equity companies. But if it's a run-of-the-mill, straight-up-and-down private equity company, then that in itself is not a prohibition. So that's not going to stop anything. It's a matter of what is the best way of ensuring that the media in this country, which are in a very, very delicate state, uh, are nurtured in the future, not necessarily uh, through the same sort of ownership structures that we have now. You know, I've, I've advocated ownership structures to include things like trusteeship and um, tax-free status for public service companies and so on. Uh, so there are many ways in which we could move it forward without simply uh, selling to whoever ever comes forward.
if you could, if we look at the Bauer titles, people said uh, when they pulled the plug so suddenly in early April, well, that just goes to show we shouldn't have let them amass such a huge range of titles in this country and achieve that dominance because look what happens when they're no longer interested. However, in the current climate, <laughs> you can imagine if a publisher like that came in and expressed an interest, you know, a, a European-based global conglomerate uh, dedicated to media publishing, you know, not a hedge fund, not a private equity fund, people would have welcomed them with open arms, wouldn't they? Well, perhaps not now, knowing knowing what can happen, but uh, in, in any other circumstances, yes, I think that's probably the case. So we need to be wary of of foreign ownership because, you know, I really don't think foreign owners have the same stake in it that uh, local owners owners have. And you only have to look at uh, an outfit like Allied Press in Dunedin, where the Smith family live in Dunedin. They are rubbing shoulders with the people of Dunedin all the time. And I think that's reflected in their attitude towards the sort of stewardship of the Otago Daily Times and their other titles. Well, another quote from your piece, Gavin, was you saying the, the first step is to recognise journalism as a strategic asset over which New Zealanders must have control. And the amendments to the Overseas uh, Investment Act just last week uh, to protect key New Zealand assets from falling into foreign ownership unnecessarily in this post-COVID weakness that we're in now, uh, they're acknowledging that. The, the example David Parker gave, though, was a tourism company that might have zero value right now but is still strategic. Once the industry gets going, it's best to still have that up and running and available to start again when the industry does. But you, you just don't think they see the media in the same way. I, I, well, it remains to be seen, but so far we haven't seen any evidence that the government would would intercede uh, in any way in relation to, to the ownership of stuff uh, or media works if it comes to that. Uh, so, look, the potential is there for the government to exercise that care over over media assets and to regard them as strategic. Uh, and it's, it's at least recognised the possibility of that. What we now need to see is them acting on it. In the Bauer magazines uh, that are now on the block, it seems as though in pushing back the deadline, the strategy appears to be uh, breaking up and selling them in parcels, breaking them up that way and maybe finding buyers for groups of them. Do you think the same possibly could happen uh, with stuff in its newspapers? That No one perhaps wants to be involved in taking on responsibility for this huge national news-gathering network and, and all the liabilities associated with publishing papers up and down the country. But locally, even local buyers might be interested in uh, taking over papers, giving a, making a go of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Wairau Rapper Times Age is a good example of that. Uh, went into local private ownership and, and is doing, doing quite well. Uh, look, in theory, yes, the, the stuff titles could be sold to... In individual or local local interest, but there is a real impediment to it, and that is the centralisation of editorial and advertising services within Stuff. Stuff is a highly centralised business. If you were buying a, a, a local title, say the Southland Times, what would you actually be buying apart from the masthead uh, and perhaps a small number of, of staff when so much of the operation is... Uh, is centralised, it runs across the entire group, it's far more likely that it would have to be sold as a single going concern rather than broken up into individual parts. One way it could happen is if, if individual titles were sold on the basis of them buying into a cooperative, that they still have centralised services, 
the ownership is in individual hands. So I could see it working, uh, but that would require a considerable undertaking, both on the, the part of stuff, uh, ensuring that all of the potential buyers bought into that system, uh, because it would fall apart if you only had some of them involved in it. But it's by no means impossible. Uh, the, the destiny of our media residing in the areas that they serve. I think that there is real value in that. And finally, Gavin, a um, couple of years back, you wrote a book called Complacent Nation. Uh, in fact, longer than a couple of years ago, but you argued at the time the public wasn't aware of the fragility of uh, the media businesses and, and the importance of them in our public life. And it would take some sort of shock, uh, you, you said at the time, uh, to make them wake up to it. Well, uh, the media's had a hell of a shock along with the rest of the country these last couple of months. Do you think uh, they've got the picture now with where the media fits in or, you know, such as the scale of the shock that the last thing they're really worried about or concerned about is, um, you know, their newspapers, magazines and uh, other media outlets? Uh, I'm afraid it's it's that exactly, that there are too many other shocks for the media to have yet registered uh, as, as top of mind, and, and that's understandable. Um, but in time, the crisis in our media will become evident to to people, particularly if they suddenly find that the information on which they rely is no longer there. You imagine COVID-19 if we didn't have the media to tell us about it. I hate to think. That was Gavin Ellis, a former editor-in-chief at the New Zealand Herald who had personal experience of that publication being taken over by an offshore owner. That's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend, but Hayden Donnell will be back with Midweek Media Watch at about 10.30 next Wednesday night during Nights with Brian Crump. And then we'll be back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.